Dad fuel. So, I've uh, never actually had an energy drink before. So, but I figure you're all in a hurry to get home and barbecue, so I might just down one of these right now and see if we can get through this about 10 minutes. So, whew. If I finish that, I'll have to take a washroom break halfway through. So, uh, anybody want some dad fuel? Feeling like you have a bit of a pick-me-up? Any, any dads or granddads out there? I, got, I can't drink all six of these. So, let's see. Who, uh, who needs a dad fuel? Mr. Terry, Mr. Chairman of the Board, needs a dad fuel. Yeah. Oh, Mr. Matt. Oh, there we go, Matt. Yeah. Okay. If I throw it, will you promise not to open it during the service? <laughs> There we are. What about over here? I saw some people over here. Oh, he, I, got, I got some in the fridge for him later. Yeah, maybe over here I need a dad fuel designed for dads and granddads. There's one. Oh, I'll pass that one there. I got Malcolm. Here you go, Malcolm. Enjoy that. I got one left. There it is. Fantastic. You can hear the wind as I run. That's the energy I'm getting from dad fuel. It's like a superhero. Fantastic. Well, uh, so when you have those, just a word of caution about them. Uh, they are pretty powerful. Dad, as you can expect, dad fuel is pretty powerful stuff. It's an energy drink, and if you're a coffee drinker, you probably drink about 400 milligrams of coffee a day. That can has about 500 milligrams of caffeine in it. So if you have a heart condition, maybe... Uh, Drink with caution, drink sparingly. You may also notice that there's a caution on the can. And it says something along the lines of caution may cause sudden bursts of energy and awesomeness. Customers have reported increased frequency and hilarity of jokes, followed by an energy crash leading to periodic napping while watching golf, but not relinquishing control of remote control. So that is basically how that goes. So you've seen uh, probably other brands of energy drinks. probably haven't seen dad fuel before, but they're very popular, especially amongst like young adults and youth. In fact, up to about 75% of young adults and youth actually consume these, especially guys, guys in particular. And I think part of it is because of how it's marketed. You see, the product promise that comes with each energy drink, regardless of the brand, dad fuel or otherwise, is that it will increase your energy. It will enhance mental alertness. It will improve physical performance. Who could say no to that? Especially a, a young adult or a youth guy who's, who's trying to succeed in life. Because it gives us this sense that if I drink this, I will have what I need for success today. And I remember when I was coaching my son's hockey teams a few years back, that there were some of the kids in the locker room right before the game they crack an energy drink, and they would guzzle it, and they'd head out onto the rink. I remember when I was even a little bit younger, before I was married and had kids, and I worked in a warehouse. And I would be up rather late at night and have to get up rather early in the morning, usually four hours of sleep or less. And I would have to perform for the day. And so I would take these, I didn't have energy drinks at the time, but they had these things called wake-up pills, which was the same thing in pill form. It was just a capsule of like pure caffeine that you could take. And so I would take these things to function at work. And here's the thing, they work for a while, right? Like the players would go on the ice and they would skate harder, they would shoot harder, they would skate faster, they would shoot harder. 
I would go to work and I could pack the boxes quicker. I could stack the skids faster. I could wrap them and deliver them like crazy the whole time feeling my heart just pounding out of my chest because of all the caffeine. But then what happens? Energy crash happens and you start to lose power. And the third period hits. And these kids can't skate very much at all anymore, yet alone shoot. And all of a sudden, I'm driving home from work, falling asleep as I'm driving home from work, which is unsafe when you're driving, but it's wonderful when you're going out later that night because you get a nap in before you can head out later that night. But we would lose this power. You know, throughout this series, that's what we've been talking about, isn't it? The power of prayer. And I want to challenge you and have been challenging you throughout this series to find that power through your daily dose of the power of prayer. Now, you may have done that in different ways. You may have done that through our prayer primers, which have been up for almost a month now. We're going to keep those up a little while longer. So if you missed out or want to revisit some, or if you're a little behind, they're going to be up on the website a little longer. You may have experienced some power through prayer, through sermons and podcasts. Also, as you've heard just a few moments ago, we have the upcoming night of prayer, which gives you another chance, if you haven't engaged in something yet, to come to our night of prayer and experience the power that exists within that. And I just want to say thank you to all of those who have contacted myself and other people of the staff to share with us stories of where you've experienced that power, whether it's finding help for tough times, encouragement for the low times, or even just deepening your relationship deepening your faith with God through these. And if you were with us at the very beginning, you'll know that we started this series about six weeks ago, and I asked you the question, do you believe in the power of prayer? And people on site and people online responded with the firm, yes. And it was also on that particular day, Mother's Day. And so I asked you the follow-up question, do you believe in the power of a praying mom? And even louder resounding, yes. And so today, as we're coming to the end of this series, I have to ask you again. I have to ask you again, whether you're on site or if you're visiting with us and watching online, do you believe even more in the power of prayer at the end of this series? Yes. And let me ask you a follow-up question again because it's Father's Day and I'm hoping that people can drink some dad fuel, get a little more energy going in the next answer, is do you believe in the power of a praying dad? Yes, and you better believe there's power in a praying dad. Because today I want you to know, today I want you to believe with your whole being, especially the dads, especially the granddads, that what fuels success in your life is not dad fuel or mom fuel or jet fuel or whatever you turn to to fuel success in your own strength. But rather, what we can turn to that fuels success is what King Solomon tells us about in Psalm 127, where he tells us that success in daily life can be experienced by bringing life to God daily. Experience in daily life can be had by bringing our life to God daily. And I want to suggest to you that the best way we can do that is through prayer. And that's what fuels success. So let's have a look at that passage today. Psalm 127. If you have your Bibles with you, feel free to flip there. I'll have the verses on the screen too if you want to follow along up there as well. Now, Psalm 127. Most people think that the Psalms are written by King David. And in fact, most of them are. As as many as 85 of the 150 Psalms that we find in the book of Psalms, as many as 85 of them were written by David. 
The other 65 or so are attributed to other authors, two of them to King David's son and successor, King Solomon. And now King Solomon, early in his kingship, desired to continue the legacy that his dad, King David, had started. But he knew that King David was an amazing king, and and Solomon had big shoes to fill. And he also knew at the same time the limited aspect of his own ability. And so early on in his kingship, what he did is he went to a time of praising, to a time of of worshiping God. And in the course of worshiping and praising God, he, he prayed. And he asked God, God, give me the ability to discern your will as as I lead your people. God, give me the ability to define the difference between right and wrong as I judge amongst your people. Lord, help me to lead well the people you've placed into my hands, into my care. A beautiful prayer that God was pleased with. So pleased with that God's response to him was, was, Solomon, you didn't pray for long life. You didn't pray for wealth. You didn't pray that I would bring vengeance upon your enemies. And so in response, I'll say, yes, Solomon, I will give you the wisdom. But on top of that, I will also give you wealth. I will give you long life. I will give you honor. And if you study the life of King Solomon, whether biblically or or extra-biblically or throughout history and archaeology, you will find that by the world's standards, King Solomon had everything he needed for success. He had position, he had power, he had wealth, he had wisdom. But in that wisdom, it also gave him the key to success. It also shared with him the key to success, which he shares with us in Psalm 127 and verse 1, where he begins by saying, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord stands watch over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. Now, as he opens this verse, this, this psalm, by making reference here to the city and to the house, Solomon is poetically drawing our attention to the activities of daily life. See, when he talks about a house here, we could understand this to literally mean a dwelling, like, like a house that you construct out of wood and concrete. It can literally mean a dwelling. But symbolically, within the nature of the poetry that's being used here, it speaks about a household. He's speaking about building a home. And we know about this, moms and dads and granddads, don't we? We know about this, how we work together to build a home, to maintain the DNA of a godly home that God has placed under our care. And it's hard work. It takes manual effort. Sometimes you could say that over a long period of time, by blood, sweat, and tears, we built this house, this place that we call a home. But then he also talks in the second part here about a city. And he talks about a city which we can understand to be a place of activity. You see, if you think about a city that you live in, there's all sorts of things that go on in a city. It's a place of activity. It's a place of identity. It's really all the different aspects and places where your daily life takes place. And when you're in your city, you have this feeling of familiarity. You feel secure and safe, like you know and are known within the context of the city. And at times... We may look at our lives and, and say, you know what, my extended family, my, my close friends, my community, my, my church feels like my city. That's the activity. That's where I live, work, and play. And we know the saying where it says it takes a village or it takes a city to raise a child. And so putting this all together, we get the sense that we are to carefully build our homes and to carefully guard 
our cities. And as I unpack that for you, I think it's going to resonate with a lot of people here, especially anybody who's a parent or a grandparent knows that feeling. That feeling, that, that, that desire, that burden to build a family, to build a home, and to preserve a city. But I, I'm going to step on a bit of a ledge here, and, and I'm going to perhaps speak for myself and maybe some of the other people in the congregation, and say that on a special level, not, not an exclusive level, but on a special level, I think it specifically speaks to men. This desire, this burden, this calling, this responsibility to be builders of the home and watchers over the city. Can you relate to that, guys? That special feeling, that, that just the way that God wired men. We have this feeling, not an exclusive feeling, mind you, but a special burden feeling to provide a happy, safe, comfortable home for those who are placed under our care. You relate to that? I know I sure can. And King Solomon felt it too. Because part of the God-given wisdom that he was received revealed to him this. And the fact that, that you can take your daily dose of dad fuel, meaning you can try under your own efforts and you can try with your own ability, and if you do so, you will have some success. You will. We can, in our own self-determination, we can have some success. But as Solomon continues in Psalm 127, he also tells us that in vain you will rise up early, and in vain you will stay up late, and in vain you will toil for food to eat, because he, the Lord, grants sleep to those whom he loves. You can rise early, you can stay up late, you can put on a long, hard day's night. You can repeat that day after day if you want to. But Solomon is saying here that if you do that, if that is the order of your life, you're building in vain. You're watching in vain. You're toiling in vain. He's saying in this passage that all of that is wasted. It is useless unless God is involved. It's in vanity. What that word means is that all the effort you put in, all the time you put in, it's futility. It's inconsequential. It's worthless. It's wasted without God. Now, I know that there's many people here and many people in the world who would absolutely disagree with that. And I get that. I, I know they would absolutely disagree with that premise. And I know that evidenced by the world we can look at around us where even within the people, perhaps within this congregation, and especially in the world out there, we see that there is another pandemic amongst us, and it's the pandemic of being a workaholic. There's a pandemic of long, stretching hours that we put into work. All in the name of increasing our purchasing power so that we can provide bigger homes and bigger cars and bigger vacations for families. And at the same time, get a great sense of identity. It's one of the biggest pandemics that existed long before COVID even came on the scene. And see, you and the world would, would perhaps align with that. There was a season of my life where I did align with that. Back when I was a sales manager, before I was a pastor, I had one uh, wonderful man who was a salesman that I, that I uh, managed. He carried a territory over northern BC and a lot of traveling involved with that. He was a great guy. He's a friend of mine, wonderful salesman. And he had gotten married while he was working for us, and then they were expecting the birth of their daughter, their first child. And the delivery date of their daughter, the first child, conflicted with the sales trip that he had booked. 
Now, in my mind, that's an easy call. In his mind, he was conflicted. Do I go on the sales trip or do I stay here for the birth of my daughter? Well, he thought, well, I hope and I can pray that my daughter is born before I have to go and it all works out fine. Didn't happen that way. The day came for him to leave and he left. And sure enough, two days into his trip, his wife goes into labor. And he forced the choice, do I turn around and come back for this or do I keep pushing on? And he didn't come back. He stayed on the sales trip and he missed the birth of his daughter. Now, a lot of us would look very harshly upon him for that. And, and, and I would agree, that's not the choice I would have made. It's not the choice if somebody called Pastor Mark, Mark, what should I do? I'm not even going to think about it. You come back for the birth of your daughter. I, I, that's the counsel that I would give. But before we judge him too critically, when I asked him why he did that, he said, because I believe that my job, my number one job as a husband and as a father is to provide for my family. And the best way I can provide for my family is to go to work, to make money, so that they can have all of the things in life that I never had. We may not agree with his logic, but his logic came from a point, as the world tells us, that you work hard, you get up early, you stay up late, you toil hard, you do all you can, and that's what it means to be a dad. Solomon in, in, in Psalm 127 is not assessing the importance of being committed to your family. He's not assessing the importance and the role of being a provider in the family. There, there's, no, there's no conflict here. It's assumed you're going to work hard to build the house. He's, it's assumed and agreed you're going to work hard to guard the city because bills need to be paid. Food needs to be purchased. Sometimes, like this salesman I tell you about, you are the only income earner in the house. And Solomon wrote many, many proverbs where he goes directly at those who are lazy and those who are deadbeats. And he has strong words for them. Work hard, he tells them. So this psalm is not an assessment on the value of hard work and the commitment to the family. What Solomon is pointing out here is the inherent connectedness between the work of God, our work, and daily life. He's pointing out the inherent connectedness between these three things. Because even if you build a great home, even if you fortify a solid city, even if you work hard, you're still dependent upon God. How many people have lost it all in the stock market? How many people have had a relationship dissolve and all they worked hard to build came crumbling underneath them? How many people have had an accident, a car accident or otherwise, where it has wiped them out? You see, we can work hard, we can get up early, we can stay up late, we can toil hard, but we're still dependent upon God. Because, God, because goodness in life and security for the future is not guaranteed by our work alone. It never can be. Because we don't know what tomorrow holds. And this is a triangular relationship that exists. This is like a Trinitarian relationship that exists between God, work, our work, and daily life. Without including all three of those things in the equation, Solomon is telling us it's done in vain. I'll share with you an example of a pastor that I know very well. Who was putting in 60 to 70 hours a week at his church, six days a week. A lot of hours. And his church loved him. He was, he, was a, he, he was a good pastor. He was a faithful man. His church is going through some hard times, though. And there's a lot of stress and a lot of tension that existed in the church. And he was bringing that home with him. He hardly saw his kids because of the hours he worked and the demands that came with that. 
But it was all being done in the name of providing for the family. It was all being done in the name of even building the kingdom of God. And and this man's wife, this pastor's wife, would tell the kids, kids, I know daddy's not coming home for dinner. I know daddy's going to miss this again. But kids, this is our part in daddy's calling to serve God. Well, one evening when he was home, an argument came up, doesn't matter what it was. Argument came up with one of his sons, to the point where his son ran upstairs and locked himself in the bathroom for a long period of time. And as time passed, his dad became increasingly fearful of what was going on and what was happening, to the point where he forced his way into the washroom, and there he found his son kneeling on the floor with his arms covered in blood, as his son had been cutting his arms to relieve the emotional pain that he was experiencing. Now, if you can imagine as a father, as you open that door, and that's what you find. He just fell to his knees beside his son and said, what is going on? And through the course of the conversation and the tears, this young man told his father, I hate God and I hate the church because all they ever do is make you angry and take you away from us. This pastor would rise early, he would work late, he would toil hard, all in the name of God. But it was in vain. Because trying under his own power, he didn't succeed in building the home. Trying in his own power, he did not secure the city. God's presence in your life is a game changer. It brings to you new resources. It gives you new priorities. God's presence in your life will change the game because it redefines what success means and what success is. Contrast the picture Solomon paints in the first verse here of a, of a person who is attempting to build, attempting to secure the city on their own, through their own self-determination, through their self-reliance, through their own self-effort. What does it lead to? Restlessness, sleeplessness. But compare that to what we're given and told in the final verse in chapter 2. Consider the image of the person who works hard but brings their life to God daily as an offering. Solomon says that person is granted sleep. That person is granted peace. That person is able to relax. Not because they aren't working hard, but because even while they are at rest, they know that God is still hard at work in their lives. Now, some of you may be wondering, what does all of this have to do with the power of a praying dad? And if you're thinking that question, you're asking the right question. Especially if you relate to some of what I've covered so far today. Because the answer to that question is this. Success in daily life can be experienced by bringing our life to God daily. Success in daily life can be experienced by bringing our life to God daily. And I believe that happens best through prayer. Throughout the past six weeks of this series, we have seen many examples of the power of prayer in our own lives and the lives of our congregation. And I want to encourage you today to say, if you've experienced that in your own life, extend it. Allow it to go out to help you to do your job, do your task of building, to do your role of guarding. And you don't need to be the Billy Graham of prayer to do this. Because the best moms and the best dads, the best grandmoms and the best granddads are quite often the ordinary ones. 
the ones who don't hold world records, the ones who have no national titles, but they're the ones who love their families, who make time to go out there and make sure that they are present, make sure they are trying to honor the family that they've been given by God and to honor God with that family. Quite often they're the ordinary ones who simply just want to go play catch with a son and then talk afterwards, who quite honestly just want to protect their daughters and hear her heart when she needs someone to talk to. It's the ordinary moms and dads and granddads and grandmoms out there are quite often the ones who make the biggest difference. There's a guy named Dan. I read a story of this week. Dan was a successful man in a lot of different ways. One of the ways was in sports. He made, going through the whole story, he made his way to professional football. Not big, wouldn't have seen him on TV. Wasn't for long because he was a backup, but he made it. He made it to pro ball. But even though he had all of this success in his life that so many people move towards and, and strive for, his number one priority in his life was to be a husband and a dad. And he knew that the best way he could define that in his own life is to be a committed prayer warrior for his family. And so when his son reached an age where his son was old enough to start playing ball, he had a bit of a ritual where before every game and after every game, he would take his son aside and he would say, son, huddle up, we're going to pray. And they pray. They pray before every game, they pray after every game. Son, huddle up, we're going to pray. And his son would say that it would give him energy. It would give him this, this passion as he started the game. And then when the game was over, huddle up, we're going to pray. When they won, they celebrated. But when the game didn't go very well, they still prayed. And then even when they were down and not feeling great, they huddled up and they prayed. It was awkward at first, as you can imagine. Anytime you start something new like that, it was, it was awkward at first. But then they came to a point of just accepting that this was valuable, this was worthwhile, and it was important. And so it became part of the routine. And not only was it a part of their routine, but other people on the team started to notice and started to join them in this time of praying together before and after the game. Now, what did this communicate to this man's son? It communicated to him a few things. Number one, my dad is with me. My dad is for me. My dad will stand guard over me. My dad is blessing me. My dad is building this relationship. My dad is building and guarding the city. He may not have used those words, but those are the sentiments that this was teaching him. But here's, here's partially why I share this story. Because Dan didn't come from a family like that. Dan's family was nothing like that. Dan didn't have a dad like that. Dan's relationship with his father was very, very different. He didn't have a heritage that he inherited of a dad who was building the home and guarding the city. He had a strained relationship with his dad. It was very difficult, very challenging, very distant. Dan's dad was a poor role model. And yet when Dan became a dad... He decided, I'm going to break that chain. I'm going to break that cycle of a generational curse that I've received. I'm drawing a line in the sand today, and it stops with me. For me and my son and my son's sons, we're going to learn to do the very best to raise strong families, to raise godly children in a God-honoring home. And that's what he did. That's what he was striving to do. You see, Dan discovered what the God-given wisdom of Solomon reminds us in Psalm 127 as we finish going to, move to chapter 3, where it says, Children are a heritage from the Lord, an offering, a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. 
To understand what Solomon's talking about here, we have to understand that word heritage. So that word heritage is reference to quite often to land that existed. If you look at the book of Joshua, for example, as the nation of Israel moves into the promised land and they conquer the land and it's divided up amongst the nations, you'll find this word heritage used there more than like 50 times in the book of Joshua alone. And it's used quite often in that fashion to refer to to land that God's people inherited, that, that belonged to God, but that he apportioned to his people. It was his gift to them. It was their part in his kingdom. It was their security for the future. And here Solomon takes that same idea and applies it to children, saying these children are a gift of God. These children are your share in the family. These children are your secure future. And we don't always have words like this in mind, but, but the best example that I think we can understand experiencing and feeling this is any parent, what they feel at the birth of a child. When you stand there and, you're, and your child is, is, is first born and you hold him or her for the first time, you know that feeling of not deserving this. You know that feeling of unworthiness. You know that feeling of great responsibility and burden mixed with thankfulness for this beautiful gift. You know that feeling. And this is an example of God's activity in your life. It's it's an example of his blessing in our lives. This is the basis as to why we do trial dedication as a church, is to to bring these beautiful gifts, these blessings from God, to bring them forward and to thank God for them, and to promise to carry on the heritage that he's called us into and given us the privilege to serve him through. But keep this in mind. We often miss this part of it. Remember, the land that God gave to Israel was a gift. It it was a blessing. It was theirs to have. But it belonged to God still. It still belonged to him. So too with our children. They're given to us. They're our gift. They're they're our blessing. They're, They're our part in that heritage. But God never relinquished control of them. Now, some days... That's, that's great news. Because some days you may be like, God, can I give them back? <laughs> God, is there an exchange policy? I think this one's defective. <laughs> Sometimes we may want to do that. But, but the point is to understand that we are stewards of what God has placed into our hands. As moms and dads, we are stewards of that. We are to give love protection, and guidance. But as we do those things, to keep forever in mind that they don't belong to us, and we also have a responsibility and a need to lead them, to point them back to their Heavenly Father. And that's why, as parents and as grandparents, I believe one of the best, most important things we can do is pray. Pray for our kids. Pray over our kids. Pray with our kids. And point them back to their Heavenly Father, to whom they belong anyways. See, when you pray with a child, and and when I use that word child, I I don't just mean toddlers or adolescents. For you, that might be a teenager. It might even be a young adult. It might even be an adult. Just because they got older doesn't mean you quit praying for them. When you pray for a child, something special happens. First of all, you are modeling prayer for them. You're showing them how to pray. You're giving value to the activity of prayer. 
You're communicating to them this is good and this is right and it is proper to do this. And, and let me tell you, dads in particular, that dads, there is nothing. There is nothing like the power of a dad praying over his child out loud, by name, in that dad voice. That is a lost activity. If you read through the book of Genesis and, and some of the other, uh, other historical books in the Old Testament, you see fathers blessing their children continually. And it is a significant moment in their lives. Dads, do not underestimate the power of praying over your kids, for your kids, out loud, by name, in that dad voice. And as you pray for them, you're escorting them and their lives into the presence of their heavenly father. So dads and moms too, can I give you a mission? Can I give you a mission on Father's Day? Especially for the men. To pray for your kids. To pray over your kids. Today, if possible. If you've never done that before, today is the day to start doing that. To do it. To find that moment. And, and here's, here's a simple process by which we can do it. Find a moment. Maybe prayerfully ask God to reveal that moment to you. A moment when it's just, it's just a quiet time. When you're not distracted, busy with other things. Maybe, maybe a bedtime is a good time. Maybe, maybe over breakfast. Maybe when they're just quietly playing. Find that moment. And come to the child and simply ask, what can I pray about for you? And let them answer. Now, even as I ask that question, that simple question, what can I pray about for you? Whether you ask that of a person who is 5, 15, or 35, it takes courage to ask that question as a dad. Who knew a five-year-old could be so intimidating? <laughs> it would require so much courage to ask that question. I can promise you this, it might be awkward. I can guarantee you that in some situations they might push back a little bit, but only because it's new. Only because perhaps they're not sure about this. But if you hit that bit of resistance, let me encourage you all to press on. Be sincere in the effort, and not a one and done thing, but to press on. Maybe find another moment the next day, and, and to keep asking. But in the gap between when you ask the question and when they give you an answer, pray for them still. Even if it's just quietly yourself and you're in your own mind, pray, quietly pray with them still, if possible with them. And if you press on in this, I think you're going to start to see a few special things start to happen. First of all, if you press on in this, it lets them see that you are going to their Heavenly Father on their behalf in this vertical relationship. And they will start to see that their earthly dad is standing with them in life. He's not judging them. He's not preaching at them. He is taking up their cause to their Heavenly Father. He is ushering them, their lives, their concerns, their worries, their struggles. He's ushering their issues in the presence of their Heavenly Father. This is what it will show them. And secondly, I believe it will add to additional conversations. If you have a little one who says that they, they would like prayer for a test, or, or maybe a teenager who says they're having struggles with a friendship, it leads you the opportunity after you pray to say, well, what, what about that test? What about that friendship? And after you talk to God, you can perhaps be invited to continue talking about that and ask the follow-up question. Something, you know, a follow-up question along the lines of, well, 
what are you worried about when it comes to that test? How can I help? Can I support you in some fashion? Is there something I can do to help relieve some of that burden for you? Uh, Parents, we only have limited time on earth with our kids. Limited opportunities to speak into their lives, to love them, to encourage them. We have limited times to help them walk in daily awareness and to intentionally bring their lives to God. Let's seize the moments that we have and see what we can do. But then here's the third thing that can happen. Is that this, I believe, is one of the critical keys to building a home, to establishing a heritage, to creating the legacy of faith and prayer that will not only exist between you and your child, but to the next generation and the next generation and beyond. I believe that every man hearing this feels something inside them that connects with this need and this desire. And I want you to use that to motivate you to pray in your father's voice, with your family, over your family, out loud for your family. And let me tell you one more thing about this. You know who else wants you to do this, guys? Your wives. Your wives do. If you don't believe me, I'm going to ask them. Ladies, do you want your husbands, the dads, to pray over your family and your kids? Yeah, okay. I'm going to get some mom fuel. <laughs> Let's try it again. We've got to encourage our dads. We've got to motivate and support our dads. Ladies, do you want your husbands to pray over your families? Yes. Yes, we do. Because there is so much power in a praying dad. There's power in a praying dad. It leads to deeper intimacy with God. It leads to this ability to empower them to help build a home, to watch over the city, and to find success in daily life as they bring their lives to God daily. Now, as I stand before you presenting this challenge, it's not just a challenge for you, because I'm speaking to myself as well. I may be standing up here in this role of a teacher today, But when I step down from this platform, I am a father and a dad and a granddad. And as I speak these things, I believe wholeheartedly in every word that I have just spoken to you. But I do not believe that I am by any means a master of those words. Because this is a challenge to myself as well. It's a challenge to myself to go to my home to be a model of prayer. To make it not only a part of my life, but to extend that to include my family. It's a call and a challenge to myself to go and to bring those that God has trusted to my care, those that he has placed into my hands, to lead them to their Heavenly Father in prayer. To pray for them, to pray over them, to pray with them, yes, out loud and by name. And so I ask you if you would join me in doing our part to build godly homes, to do our part in guarding the city, trusting that God is faithful to do his. Would you pray with me right now? Heavenly Father, we thank you for family. We thank you for the moms and the dads, the grandmoms and the granddads that are here with us and those who are watching online. Lord, I pray that the spirit that is amongst us and within us in this place right now would would just have a powerful voice to lead us and guide us. And what does it look like? What does it mean to be builders of a home to be garters of a city, but to do it all in your name and in your glory, Lord. God, I thank you that you've entrusted us with the heritage of children. God, may we honor them and honor you by doing our very best 
to lead them and guide them according to your word and your ways. Lord, I pray you would give us the moments, give us the courage, give us the words to know how to enter into our families' lives that we may pray with them, for them, and over them in these days ahead. And to all of this, may you be the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.